Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. I want us to read um, from this fairly well-known passage in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read quite a few verses. Some of them will be very familiar, and then I want to concentrate on a little bit that's probably less familiar than than the rest, because sometimes when we know a very well-known passage, we miss some of the context, we miss some of the detail in the context, yeah? So it's good to read it in a particular way. So we'll start from verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ for it stands in scripture behold i'm laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's who you are, people of God. That's who you are, redeemed of Jesus. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy just say to the person next to you I have received mercy I have received mercy right yeah and and let's believe that we've received mercy there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right verse 11 beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the rest of the world, unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's not if they speak against you as evildoers, by the way, that is when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, There's a lot there. I want to concentrate on a little phrase, a little term that is used uh, by Peter in this passage. And it's it's not an easy one to translate. And depending on which version, I've been using the English Standard Version this morning, but depending on which version, you'll have slightly different uh, words used. But in verse 11, where he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And it's difficult to translate because it, it has a concept that in the Greco-Roman world at the time would have been well understood, but is less understood today by us. And really, it means 
it means uh, resident aliens. And those of you who might be familiar with uh, various television uh, documentaries, no, no, not documentaries, but t television series called Resident Aliens or films called Resident Aliens, that can be confusing as well. But there is a particular type of uh, idea that's going on here where Peter is saying, after saying, this is who you are to God, you've become God's people, his chosen possession, this royal priesthood before God, a holy nation, redeemed, full of mercy, all of that, but here you are resident aliens. My, uh, th our three girls, Judith comes from London, by the way, and uh, I, I redeemed her and brought her to Guernsey in the Channel Islands, and uh, our three girls were born in Guernsey, and uh, once they discovered our marriage certificate, in which Judith is described as an alien, uh, because we got married in Guernsey. And, um, and so, you know, the, the, the old film, My Stepmum is an Alien. So for a while, when they were little, they, they would say, my mother is an alien. You know, I said, that, that is really quite, quite strange. Um, but of course, the, the word alien means outsider. Yeah? It's someone who's come from outside into a particular community. And you might count yourself to be like that. I often say that the Latox have been in Guernsey for 800 years, so we're nearly local. Uh, I don't know if that sort of applies in, in, in Jersey, but in, in Guernsey, that's the sort of idea. Well, nearly, nearly, you know, a, a couple more centuries and you might make it. Um, but, but alien has a sort of strange concept. We think, we think of someone from outer space sometimes as well with that uh, word. But the, the word here is it, the, the term, sojourners um, and exiles, is really... Resident alien, that's the best way you can put that. And, and Peter is saying, you who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the church of the living God, you are resident aliens. You are people from outside, but you're not passing through so much. It's not the idea that you're... Because I mean, sometimes we get this idea that, you know, with Pilgrim, we're, we're not really here on earth. It doesn't really matter what happens around us because we're just passing through. And you get that phrase sometimes, and it's, it's not completely wrong to understand that, but there's a strong emphasis, on the sojourner bit of it, is that we are resident here, yeah? It, 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 but our citizenship is in heaven, it's not here, do you get it? We're living here, and on the surface, we are, God expects us to be like other people here, he expects us. He doesn't have expectations for us to, you know, to, to, to sort of float. Um, as sometimes you get images of, of, of Jesus or, or things as, as, if, as if he sort of floated through air into, into various things. And he, he, when he came, when God came on earth, the best example of a, a resident alien in the form of his son, he was really flesh and blood like us. Totally man, totally human, but he didn't belong here, right? Now, it's a concept that I think is really important for us to get today if we're going to understand what it's like to, to be in this world around us. Because I think for many of us who've perhaps been a Christian for a long time, and I'm not assuming you have, but it, I'm, I'm really even saying the last... I guess 20 years or so, 20 to 30 years, 
Things have changed in our culture in the West and in the Channel Islands particularly, I think, to such a degree that we as Christians may well be out of touch with how far the culture around us has differed from us. Now, the best example of, I guess, a resident alien that I can think of in terms of a story is that of Daniel. And I want us to read a few verses from the beginning of the book of Daniel. It's a book I used to love as a child. Because the, the book of Daniel is a story of a load of guys that went from, were taken from Jerusalem a thousands, mile, thousands of miles away into Babylon, a completely foreign place, and made to live there and educated there. And, and it's, it's a story of what happened with them and how they responded to where they found themselves. So let's just read from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Just, just stop there for a moment. And that. Notice, notice how the writer here, Daniel most likely, writes this. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God did this. Right? It's not an accident. It looked like Nebuchadnezzar was the one that was taking all these exiles uh, out of Judah and bringing them to Babylon. But it's, it's said here, no, God was behind this all the time. So the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God, some of the, from the temple. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the, chief, the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. There they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So they even changed their names into Babylonian names. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to def- not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king in his court. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, if you haven't read the book of Daniel, or even if it's a while since you've done so, I encourage you to do so because it has fantastic stories after that. I mean, you know some of them, Daniel and the Lion's Den, you know about the, the statue, you know about the fiery furnace, all those sorts of things. But I, I want to use this as a, uh, a, a, as a context to understand where we are today because there's two ways in which we can understand being a resident alien. And one is, one is this, I suppose. I often ask this question to, to, to people. I'm going to ask it today. Um, but how many of you here have ever been, or perhaps currently are, a missionary? Put your hand up. Yeah, you see, I mean, it's a bit of a trick question, really. Because if you're a Christian, you should all have your hands up, right? The question really is not, are you a missionary or not? It's, are you a good missionary or not? Right? Because the point is this, we could see ourselves like Daniel and his companions who were taken out of their culture with all that they knew and believed, with the temple, and because originally they were already part of the Babylonian Empire, but they had rebelled, Judah had rebelled, and so King Nebuchadnezzar had come in and said, right, we're going to make sure this never happens again. He took all their best young men, amongst others, and he took all their, the gold and the silver and the sort of special things from their uh, temple and he brought it to Babylon because his plan was, we're going to educate you out of your culture. We're going to put our culture into you so that you're not going to be able to rebel again. There won't be an opportunity to get uh, nobility that will be able to rebel and, and, and run a rebellion against me, the great emperor. It was the greatest empire at the time. This is about 600, BB, uh, 600 BC. Now, the, um, the thing was, they had been taken thousands of miles away out of their culture, and when they arrived in Babylon, it would have been totally different. The Babylonians worshipped multiple gods. They had you know, uh, buildings as high as you can imagine, the great minarets and things, great high buildings. And there was gold everywhere, and, there were at, uh, and every street had statues and, that were being worshipped. Now, for the Jew, that was anathema. I mean, you had to knock down an idol if you saw an idol anywhere, if you were a Jew. And they were taken into this foreign culture and put into the University of Babylon. Now, some didn't want to do it. Some wanted to stay outside the city by the rivers. Do you remember that? Remember that song? 
Psalm, Psalm 137. Those of you who are old enough to remember Boney M. Psalm 137. I'm just going to find it because it's worthwhile in this context. So you're by the waters or the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. This was written at that time. There were some that said, I'm not going to go into the city. I'm going to die here by the rivers. And I can't even sing the worship songs that we used to sing because I'm so upset about what's happened to the temple of God, to our, our faith, to our leaders. All of those things have gone. And, and yes, we remember the by the rivers of Babylon song. But what you don't, what, what you don't get is that, that, as far as I know, that song doesn't have the last line of this psalm in it. Because it says, or the, the last two, two verses, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little babies and dashes them against the rock. Don't normally sing that with Boney M, do you? Dash the babies against the rock. We don't do that, no. Um, that's in the Psalms, folks. That's in the Psalms, okay? That's because they'd seen what Nebuchadnezzar had done. He had raped their land. He'd raped the country of all this culture and all the worship of God. And he'd probably, the idea of dashing babies against the rock, maybe that's a, what they'd done there as well, said, we're going to kill all your, all your little ones or the next generation as a sign. You're not going to, re to, to rebel again. And so they ended up outside the city. Now, um, Jeremiah, the prophet, prophesied at that time and sent a prophetic word to them to tell them how God wanted them to behave when they arrived in Babylon. And you can read it in chapter 29. We're not going to read all of it, but I want to refer to it here. Because he wrote this, and it was sent uh, at the hand of a, a messenger. And this is what he says, chapter 29, um, verse 4. He prophesies to those that were exiled, the aliens that were exiled there into Babylon. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 4, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. So they get, God's saying, look, I'm behind all this. He wants them to hear this. I'm behind all this. From Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. You've heard this before, but I'm trying to put it in, a, in a, its real context. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare for thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name I did not send them declares the Lord. So in that psalm, you had some of that negative prophetic words saying, Lord, bring doom upon Babylon and cause them to have the babies struck against the rock. Actually, God has said here through Jeremiah, 
don't listen to that. So maybe that's why Boney M didn't sing it. You know, that's, that's a good reason. But uh, my point is this. God is saying something quite radical and remarkable here to guys who were depressed and, and saw it as the end of their world as they knew it in those days. Because they found themselves in a foreign land that they didn't like. They didn't like their culture. They didn't like what was going on. And you know, you don't have to travel thousands of miles today as a Christian to have that sort of feeling. Because we're called to be missionaries, guys. We're called to be resident aliens. That's what a missionary really is. In the place that we live. The culture around us has changed dramatically. It is no longer recognizable. In fact, you can't have a conversation very easily with people around you about uh, the Christian faith unless you learn to speak their language. And isn't that what a missionary does? You know, a missionary doesn't go to, uh, I don't know, a you know, foreign country and say, you know, I'm going to teach you my language so that we can communicate. He or she learns their language and sometimes even dresses the way they dress so that they blend with that. They don't despise those things. And God is saying to us today, right now in fact, rather than complain against the cultures around us and the, and the difficulties and the changes in opinion about things like sexuality, for example. We haven't got time to go into all of that today, but it's a very complicated minefield. Gender ethics, all those sorts of things. Where do you start? Well, you start here by saying, pray for the blessing of God, the favor of God to come upon the community, the cultures around us. And it's even more than one culture. You know, that's the thing. We're living in a multicultural society. That's what Daniel and his friends did, you see. The others didn't. They were, there were some by, by the river. Some, like Daniel and his friends, they went in. But they didn't compromise. They didn't say, okay, we're, we're going to accept your views on, on, on gender dysphoria or whatever it might be and we're just going to get on with it, or we're going to ignore the, the issues uh, you know, you're, you're talking about when it comes to uh, ethics of, of this sort or that sort, and we're just going to keep quiet and uh, try and get on, keep our heads down, and hope this goes away, with, goes away after a few years. They didn't do that either. Daniel was very careful. He didn't criticize either. His friend, he didn't say, look at, you know, look at your culture, Babylonians. How? How sick is that, that you worship lots of different idols? That's, that's ridiculous. Isn't it? He, he didn't do that either. He didn't come as the, as the big critic. Christians, unfortunately, we can come over either, in either of those two extremes and a few in, in, in between. Sometimes we can, set, we can separate ourselves so much, we're like those by the rivers. We don't even go into the city any longer, right? And sometimes we can blend so much that no one can tell us at all. Isn't hardly anything that differs, differs from, from the world. So what's the point of being a believer in Jesus? Andy Crouch, in his great book on culture, identifies, I think, four different ways in which Christians traditionally in recent times have responded. So he goes back to, to say, like, uh, the, the beginning of the 20th century, when there was a the beginnings of a rise against the Christian ethics and, and Christian culture in the West. 
Um, and there's things, the Christians got very cross uh, about things like um, the cinema, you know, and it, 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 was, it was the den of iniquity um, and the theater and all those sorts of things. And, and, uh, and he, he describes it like uh, there were some that would, some would just, you know, throw stones, literally. They, were, they would say, it's, it's, if you get involved in that, that's the beginning of the end as far as uh, your Christian faith is concerned. If you go to the cinema, you've, you've tainted your, your soul, all those sorts of things. He said then, then sort of later on in the 1930s and afterwards with, with people like um, Francis Schaeffer, in other words, there was a more engaged uh, season where there was a bit of critique and saying, well, look, there's some certain things that are good in culture around us. Some of this music has got some uh, relevance. Some of this, these storylines in the movies have got some relevance, but others are not so. And so it was, it was a little bit sort of getting into the middle ground and engaging, but it was still at a distance from the culture. He said then the 1960s came along and uh, in that you know, post-war period in the 1960s, um, there was a, a sort of thing in the church that, that came about, why does the devil have all the, good, all the best songs, you know, the, all the good music? And, and so Christian contemporary music started, rock and roll Christianity and things like that. And you know, I've always think Christian contemporary music is a little bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Because it's not really contemporary. Most of it is at least 10 years behind what's happening in the world, but let, let's not go there anyway. Um, but you know, that, nevertheless, it was a sense to sort of, let's try, and, let's try and engage with the culture around us by having some similar tunes and some similar styles. Right? And then he says, this is Andy Crouch, and he says in the 1980s, it's like Christianity took on completely the consumer culture around. We just blended. It was just acceptable to have different views um, than, 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 than the Bible. And he said the problem is that doesn't have any effect whatsoever. So he said none of those things are right. It's not right to condemn, it's not right to critique, it's not enough to copy, and it's certainly not a good thing just to become a consumer like the rest. We are called to cultivate right at the very start. God put Adam and Eve in a garden and he told them to cultivate. And we are called to cultivate. Culture re requires us to cultivate. We're to be creators of things. And that's what Daniel set about doing, Daniel and his friends. He set about, they set about creating an environment where the gospel could flourish and take root and flourish. And so when uh, they were told, for example, the, the, the story we get in chapter one is, you know, you're going to have to eat this food. Now, it was probably totally different food than they were used to eat. It probably included pork, for example. Right, and other things. It certainly would have been sacrificed to their gods. The food and the wine, the meat and the wine would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods. And so Daniel says, yeah, we're happy to eat the food, but we're not going to have the, 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 the meat and the wine. Now that would have caused problem to this. The chief of the eunuchs was like the chief of staff. He, he was responsible for the king's household. And not surprisingly, he says to Daniel, you know, oh, that's going to be a problem for me because if you come all emaciated into court, I'm going to get my head in the block as a result of that. 
And Daniel doesn't say, well, that's tough for you. That's what we're going to do. He's very kind to that guy. And he, he says, in faith, as it were, look, let's try it for 10 days. Let's try this for 10 days. Compare us with those that are having the full fare. And then if it's not working, we'll, we'll go back on, on this. We'll, 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 we'll see what, what we'll do after that. But he gives this guy an opportunity. He's kind. He engages in that way. And of course, after 10 days, a, mirac- a miracle happens. They, they look healthier. And it's, it's just amazing. And of course, in the end, they end up being wiser than the homegrown talent of courtiers that are around that Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is using. See, I do believe that God will bless us if we have that attitude in this culture. If we do what God said through Jeremiah, I'm, I, I am sending you. Take it that you are missionaries. Take it that you've been sent into this culture. Take it it's not by accident that you're living in Jersey in the 21st century at this time when they're when people are trying to bring in assisted dying and are, are trying to extend abortion laws and are trying to change uh, issues regarding sexuality, take it it's not by accident that you're here. But it's not either to condemn the people that are seeking to do this and it's not to hide in a corner or to live in a monastery of some sort and not engage at all with the society around. You've got to walk the narrow path of learning what it is to do like Daniel did, to be a Daniel and his colleagues, to be like them in the midst of that. Now, sometimes that means, beloved, we are going to be, we're going to find ourselves in the lion's den. And sometimes we're going to find ourselves in fiery furnaces. But the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. He will not let us go. I've been privileged in my time as uh, in, in politics and both as, as chief minister and as minister for external affairs um, to meet some fascinating, interesting people. Um, and I've always sought to, uh, to make sure that they know that I'm a Christian if uh, they haven't met me before. And obviously every politician, when they are presented to uh, someone outside, has a, a biography. And uh, my biography uh, used to say, initially, uh, uh, used to say, uh, Jonathan is an ordained Christian minister, uh, an evangelical Christian minister. Um, And uh, I thought that was quite honest and truthful, and that was okay. Um, But I found uh, over time that that created some difficulties uh, because I was once, my, one of my first trips to Brussels, I sat next to uh, a guy who, um, I think he was Danish, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, he was certainly an atheist, and he told me so. And it was at a, a dinner, um, it was lun- a luncheon v- uh, event. And he said to me, at the time I read your bio, uh, he said, so you're, um, you're, you're a Christian. Really? So I said, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, so he said, you're, you're an evangelical Christian. So I said, yeah, thinking, where is this going? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what it says. I'm an evangelical Christian. He said, more than that, he said, you're an evangelical Christian pastor. So I said, yes, yes, that, that's true. So he said, uh, that means you really believe that stuff. <laughs> so I said, uh, 
uh, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, so let me get this straight. So you're, you're down on women, you hate gays, and you, want, you approve of the abuse of children. I thought, how long have we got? <laughs> Not long, because it it's over lunch. But he'd picked up that that is what evangelical Christian leaders were about. Now, I could have said, you're wrong. That's media's uh, given that you that false impression. Yes, there are some bad things that have been done, but you know, that's... As a, I mean, I was backpedaling already if I was doing that. It wasn't an opportunity to present Jesus. It was an opportunity to try and defend something that was absolutely a false falsity. So I changed my bio. I didn't take off the fact that I was a Christian, but I wanted to try hard to find a way that didn't immediately get that sort of response. So it just says in my bio now, the bio, that G Jonathan is a follower of Jesus. That's it. He's a follower of Jesus. And that means that people actually tend to say now to me, well, I notice it said you're a follower of Jesus. What exactly does that mean? And we can enter into a conversation. Now, God is gracious with whatever you do. So I'm not saying you need to get that right, but I've learned that language really matters. Uh, communication is really, really important. But God is bigger than all this. And if we're willing as missionaries just to try just to step out, to get out of our embassies from time to time. It's a, it's a good idea to trust in God being able to do that because in that conversation, and I've had many of them since then, I've had a similar conversation with someone that it didn't go very well particularly, but opposite me on the table at that particular time was a guy who was from... Uh, Slo Slovakia and I, he didn't actually engage in conversation over lunch very much at all just introduced himself um, and I spoke mainly to the person on my, on my side uh, and we had a little conversation about uh, things of faith that was, that was it, it was in Brussels again and I didn't think anything more of it um, until some nine months later uh, I was visiting again and it was an event in Brussels where um, We'd, we'd just had a presentation, actually, Ian Gorst, uh, my colleague uh, from, from here from Jersey, was with me. And uh, we were talking to different people. I was talking to the German permanent representative, German ambassador uh, in, in, in Brussels. And, uh, and somebody came and started uh, sort of tapping me on the shoulder, uh, on the elbow here at the side. And I, I sort of ignored it to begin with because I was deep in conversation with the German uh, ambassador. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't give up. He kept on doing this, and I looked around. And... I sort of vaguely recognized this guy, but didn't. I said, well, I'll be with you in a moment. He said, I need to speak to you now. So I thought, okay. I thought, well, who is this guy? And I turned around, and it was the guy who nine months before had been sitting opposite me at this luncheon, this Slo Slovakian. His, his, his name was Stefan, and uh, he was a, a member of the European Parliament for Slovakia at the time. And he... he he kept on doing this, I need to speak to you now. He said, so I turned around and he said, I need to speak to you about your God. Well, that got my attention, right? <laughs> and so I turned around and uh, basically, I, I had five minutes. I didn't have very, very long. But he told me, I have become a Christian. He said, I, after I met you nine months ago, he said, I looked you up on Google, I found your church website, 
I downloaded your series on Esther that I was doing. It was interesting, it was Esther, because Esther doesn't even mention God. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. I don't know if you knew that. But, um, but he said, I listened to that. He said, uh, I got convicted of my sins, and I've given my life to Jesus. So I said, meet me at my hotel tonight. So I met him uh, about 10 o'clock at the end of the day. Uh, we prayed together, and basically what I didn't know, I, I mean, this is what I want to encourage you with, because I am not an evangelist by any stretch of the imagination. But what I didn't know, when he eavesdropped on the conversation that had happened nine months before, he was in the middle of a, a, a marriage failure, basically, um, of unfaithfulness. He had a daughter who uh, was... Uh, likely to go to prison for drugs, if not end her life through misuse of, of drugs. He didn't know what to do. He had thought of suicide, uh, but he kept this front. He kept the appearance of a uh, respectable politician uh, up front. And it was only in the privacy of, of his own room that he thought, there's something I need to do as a result of listening in to this conversation. And God met with him in that way. You do not know who you can influence. Um, so I didn't, you know, the, the colleague on my side, I never know what happened to him at all. But the guy opposite, God touched. Right? Paul calls us in uh, his epistles ambassadors for Christ. And I, I like that term. So I think that's the best way of understanding a modern missionary. You're an ambassador here. Your home, where you live, this church, uh, you're working together as a group. is like being an embassy in this world. And you know, the embassies in every part of the world are a little piece of the homeland. The law of the homeland applies there. But once you get outside the embassy, of course, the law of the land that they're in applies. Yeah? We, we know that. And that's really how we should think of it in this. We, we know that we're living in a foreign land, but we are ambassadors uh, in that place. There's a great picture, there's a great statue um, in uh, Washington, D.C., in the British Embassy of uh, Winston Churchill, um, uh, just outside it. And he's, he's in the middle of walking. He's got his, his foot out like that, stepping over the line between what is effectively United Kingdom and the UK. And I've often got that in my mind as I set out on each day, that as I sort of leave to do whatever I'm doing, that I'm an ambassador. I'm stepping over the line and I need to remember that I'm in a foreign land, but I'm here with a purpose. An ambassador takes his family, he lives in that foreign land. If the kids go to school there, they uh, learn the language of that land, but they remain citizens of the land who, who sent them. That is who you are, brothers and sisters. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said right at the start, is the best example of this sort of resident alien missionary ambassador that we've got, because that's, that's whom we're following. He is the one that came down from heaven when, when there was no hope for earth. We didn't want to listen to him. We didn't, we didn't want his message. We didn't think we needed his message. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And Jesus came and he appeared like us. He looked like we do. There was nothing about him that made him look 
different at all. It said there was nothing attractive that, you know, would was said, oh, crumbs, that's different. He looked like us. He, he grew up like us. He was, he was born as a baby, so he grew up. He had to learn obedience, it says. I don't know how that works particularly, but that's what the scriptures say. He had to be, have mother and a, a mother and a father and to go through all the normal things of life, but with a big difference because he came as God to demonstrate the way of salvation to us, to demonstrate a different kingdom, a different attitude. And he went to a cross and died our death. So he was willing to go to the lion's den and into the fiery furnace. In fact, you know in the story of the fiery furnace, the three that were thrown in, there was a fourth one there because the Son of God is always with us in our fiery furnaces. The one that went to the cross, even if we end up in a place that seems like the end for us, death for us, even it seems like we're attacked because of what we represent, God's there with us. And you know, he always turns it into something good. Because the message of Christianity is unique. It's unlike anything else. The, the symbol we've got, a cross, is a symbol what looks like, on the surface, of failure. It's a symbol of failure. The fiery furnace, when they were thrown in it, you know, you know the story at the end, if you read that, the Meshach, Shadrach, Shadrach and a bungalow, whatever his name is, um, when they were thrown into the, the fiery furnace, it's so, it's so, it was so hot that some of the attendees died as they opened the door to the thing. And Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king at the time, did, did not want them to go in. He pleaded with them not to have to do this. He didn't really want to do that at all. But they went in and they came out. It looked like a failure, but God redeemed it. Because God loves doing that. He's, he loves redeeming something, turning something upside down. That's the nature of our God. I want to encourage you today, just in closing, to rethink of yourself as a resident alien, as a missionary, as an ambassador for Jesus. Never mind how weak you feel, because God has a purpose in all of that. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.